Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. John chapter 12, in case you didn't hear me. Start at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us insight into your word today. Teach us about yourself. Let it change everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, right before right before the pandemic uh, hit us. Um, on a whim, suddenly, uh, the one, uh, one, of the, one of the people that I do, uh, uh, a husband and wife I do theater with in Gettysburg, she was playing piano for an audition out in, near Chambersburg for a show uh, for Sound of Music. Um, if any of you are familiar with that musical, uh, um, and um, uh, I watched it growing up on uh, television. I never saw it. I never saw the stage version of it. I just saw, you know, um, the, the movie. And I was, it was one of my favorite movies. And the music is all so fun. And you all probably know, you know, all, all the music. So I was, you know, so she called and she said, you better get out here right now and do an audition for this because they're looking, they're looking for men. And they're looking, you know, and, and, and I go, is every, I go, is all the, are all the parts open for, uh, you know, because, you know, growing up on that show, I mean, if I could, have, if I could be Captain Von Trapp, and I'm, I mean, look at me, I'm perfect for that. I mean, you put me in, this, in, a, in an Austrian military uniform and slick my hair around, I am Captain Von Trapp. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be, uh, all I wanted to be was Rolf. Not because I liked Rolf as a character, but because he had that great song, 
you're 16 going on 17, and he's falling in love with, with uh, Liesl. Oh, you know, that's great. But I don't want to be Ralph anymore. I want to be Captain on Trap. And so, I, and so I, you know, I didn't have any audition song. I had nothing. And so I quick grabbed something, and, you know, and I grew up singing to my daughter every night, Edelweiss because I love the show and Captain Von Trapp. And so I sang Edelweiss. And so I go, I'm singing my whole life. So I grabbed the music and I ran out to Chambersburg and I got on the list and I'm waiting in line and, you know, they push up. And this was, a, this was much, I'd never auditioned in this contest. It's more professional theater. And, and, uh, and so we get in there and I go in and, they, um, and, the, and I do the audition and then they ask me to, to speak in a German accent and read a line and do a thing. And okay. And we're done, you know, thank you. Um, and I was hoping, you know, and, th- and then as I'm walking out, the casting director, I heard, overheard him talk about how they'd, they'd already cast Captain Von Trapp. As I'm leaving the audition, great. Now what am I going to get? You know, what is there left? You know, I could be Max. Max be a great character. I could be, Max is the friend who ends up, you know, doing the contest and then they, they rush them off, and they do the little plan, and he was in cahoots with the captain. You know, remember, Max is a good character. I, I have a personality for Max. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get Max. I did get cast, though. I was really thrilled to get cast, and I, and I generally don't, you know, but because of the different theater, because of the different plays, I, you know, I got, I got to be the butler. <laughs> I got to be the butler. Now, the, now, if you've seen the movie or you've seen the show, the show is about a, an Austrian family, lots of kids, widowed, f- widowed father, captain in the military uh, during Nazi-occupied Germany, and they're, bi- about, they're taking over Austria, and there's, you know, sort of, you know, uh, people are mi- mixed in the process. It's a wonderful, wonderful family, very rigid, very rigid father who ends up, you know, uh, Maria... Uh, comes in and as the as the child as the uh, governess and she sort of transforms everything, sort of Mary Poppins but in Austria, you know, because she comes in and changes that all and this 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 uh, gruff hardline military whistleblowing father becomes this soft and tender music loving you know uh, person a transformative thing and you got this family and the and the lovable butler who cares for the children and then partway through the show, towards the end, Rolf and the butler are talking, and, and the butler, the family butler who loved all the kids, you discover he gives the, the Nazi insignia to somebody. Oh, my gosh, he's a Nazi. It's shocking. And that was going to be my part. I was going to be this wonderful, fun-loving. The butler is the wonderful sort of caregiving to the, to the family and, and that is sort of quietly working and loyal, loyal for many years. And then, and then you discover in the, towards the end of the show, he's a Nazi. He's, in, he's one of them. Yeah. The reason I tell you that isn't about the audition. It's about the show and about in the midst of that show, part of the way they wrote it is that you're supposed to be endeared to this person. You're supposed to, he's supposed to be a part of the process. You know, the butler doesn't have a very big role, but there's this sort of, uh, uh, you let your guard down with this butler and this family and the relationship they have, and then suddenly right in the middle of it, he's, he's one of them. He's the devil in the middle of the whole thing. And John, when he writes his book here, kind of does the same thing. 
You hear all the tales of Jesus and the disciples and the miracles and the way they connect with the people. And then suddenly, chapter 12 comes up and you discover Judas was one of them. He's one of them. You're shocked. John reveals this whole, the character that's been following Jesus along, and he's the one holding the money bag. He's the one been gathering all the resources. He's the one, he's been on the inside track with Jesus, following along one of the gang, and then you discover, no, he wasn't. He was stealing from them the very, the whole time. Stealing. Never got it. He's not about the poor. He doesn't care about the poor. As a matter of fact, he's going to betray Jesus not too many chapters away. Shocking. Shocking. You, didn't, you never saw it coming. Never saw something like that happening on this stage, in this context. Inter- interesting, I think all of us were exposed to something that we never thought would happen on that stage. Somebody get assaulted on national television at the highest point of their career. Crazy. Comes out of the blue. Someone could be that close to Jesus, could be that on the inside track, and still not get who he was. And what we discover is it happens all the time. Happens all the time. And when you encounter Jesus, it when you encounter Jesus, what we discover in this passage, when you encounter Jesus, it evokes it evokes a variety of response when you encounter the real Jesus. And we see two of those responses in this passage. We see the response of Mary. What, what, what Jesus created, what Jesus evoked. He evoked in Mary the ability for her to let her hair down. And he evoked with Judas the idea that there are things that are more valuable than they are costly. That we, that we can focus on the value rather than the cost. Uh, the scene is that Jesus has already, as it, the closer Jesus gets to the cross in, in this experience, and John, this, this chapter 12 is a, great, is, a, is a transitional chapter. It's the end of his ministry. And for the rest of John's gospel, for the rest of what we have here, we're, all John's going to talk about is one week the last week of Jesus' life, between now and the end of John's gospel. we got another 10 chapters, another you know, a bunch of chapters before, before uh, and the whole second half of the book is John talking about one week, showing you the, the life of Jesus in that, last, in that last moments of his life. And the closer we get to this last week, Jesus' power, Jesus' ministry, the grace of God that Jesus is expressing on, in his earthly ministry gets more and more prolific, more and more powerful, uh, greater and greater understanding of who and what he's done. And right before this moment, one of the most amazing miracles, one of the most, one of the most uh, 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 shocking revelations that Jesus uh, accomplishes in his ministry is he raises a man from the dead. And everybody is is amazed at this process. And as a result, and as a result, they do, they, they, th- they throw a party in his honor. They, they have a banquet. They gather everybody in the region and they come over. And, and whether it was at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, 
We don't know, but it was, it, was, it, it, it was somewhere in town, and everybody gathered around, and they were all coming to see Jesus and to honor him and to, ta- and to, ta- and to get a gander of Lazarus. He's back from the dead. I, saw, I was at his funeral. I, I saw him go in there, and then suddenly he comes out, and, there's, and then, so they're seeing this, and we've got all kinds of people in that context. And in the middle of this banquet, in the middle of this party, Mary shows up. Martha was cooking. And we've, we know these people, don't we? I mean, if you've been around the church, if you've followed us in any capacity, Mary and Martha, two sisters, one's a doer, one's a, one's a feeler. One, one is the sort of, you know, devoted to sitting at Jesus' feet, and the other one is sort of complaining that you're not helping me, Martha. And so... She's cooking the meal. Lazarus is with everybody at the meal. Jesus is there. And Mary comes, and they must have had some means. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus must have had some wealth in this context because it says that she had, she had took, a, took about a pint. What does it say? It's that she took about a pint. I'm not sure if they had more, and she took a pint of it, but or that they only had a pint in any capacity, it doesn't matter, the point being, and then we find out from, from, the, from the guy with the calculator how much that cost. How much was that worth? It was worth a year's wages. It was worth a year's wages. Becky and I, the other, day, the, the other month, we were, we were uh, talking with some of our insurance people and blah, blah, and they were asking some questions. And, and, uh, and, they, uh, and the one person asked us, um, how, much, how much money do you two and how much money do you guys intend to earn between now and when you retire? I had never, I had never thought of that question. You ever thought of that question? Think about it right now. If everything remained the same between now and when you retire... For those of you who haven't retired yet, how much money from now, if everything stays the same, from now till then, just you know, 10 years, 20 years, multi- take a big number, multiply, take the number, multiply by 20, and then calculate it. You're probably going to, it's going to be very close. It's going to be millions of dollars. Wow. A year's wages just to buy a pint of perfume. And she brings it to the table. She brings it out to the gathering. And she pours it on Jesus' feet. And then she undoes her hair. So already she's causing a stir. Martha's got everything organized, presumably. Everybody's sitting down and eating. And, the, you know, and, and generally, um, in, this, in this society, women's involvement with men at a, at a meal like this would have been very odd, very odd, shockingly odd, shamefully odd, something that was not, would not have been welcomed, would not have been anticipated, would not have been understood. It would have been an, an amazing thing for Mary to, to come into this patriarchal experience where the men would sit around the table alone, the women would, would eat elsewhere with the children or would be, would be uh, preparing the meal. And, then, and so she comes into this room Number one, crazy. Number two, takes a very expensive perfume and pours it 
not on Jesus' head. It doesn't use it in a sort of an efficient way. I mean, I don't know how you use perfume. I don't generally put it on my feet. But pours it onto his feet. And then... Not, doesn't use a cloth to kind of massage it in or her hands. It says she took her hair down. The scandal of it, the scandal. You have to understand the culture. It was scandalous that a woman would, lo- would, te- would let her hair down rather than keep it up and adorned, proper for women in this setting. To, to break with that kind of cultural expectation was unheard of. And here comes Mary, not only throwing, throwing away good Good perfume on a dirty Jewish man's feet. But then taking her hair down in the presence of men, scandal, and begins to wipe his hair, her, his feet with her hair. And the only one, I was going to say brave enough, but the only one brazen enough to say anything about this is Judas. The one guy in the room, presumably, probably, you know, certainly we find out that there's more people in the room later on. As the evening goes on, there's a lot of people that come into the room. They find out he's there. And we get all kinds of Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law, and they don't get him either. But Judas didn't, he was more akin to these guys because later on he goes into cahoots with those guys, with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He becomes, he, he becomes the, the mouthpiece. He becomes the mouthpiece to identify who he is in the garden, who comes in and he identifies him as, as the snake he was. In the, nobody, nobody knows he's skimming the money bag. Nobody knows. Nobody, they, and it's all, about, it's all about the poor. I want to take care of the poor. What are you doing? What are you doing, you frivolous woman, that you wouldn't give this money to the poor? You, what have you, you've wasted this. You've, you've, you've been irresponsible with this. What, the poor, we, we have to take care of the poor. You know, um, when Jesus is at this dinner, he's concerned about the poor to the, to the derision of, of Mary's devotion. At the, at the last dinner, the last supper, Jesus says that one of you at the table will betray me. The one that dips his bread in the in the dips his bread in the sauce with me at this at this time, who have you know, and presumably there were there were twelve of them, thirteen of them. I'm not sure if there were others in the in there, and they're all like, "Oh, what was it me?" You know, and Judas was one of them, and it says that he left, and the disciple. You know why the disciples thought he left? It says in the, it says in the scriptures said they thought he left so that he could attend to the poor. He had so convinced everyone that he got it, and it was all out of this practicality. And Jesus says, you may know, you may know the cost of everything, but you don't know the value of anything. Don't. Don't. Don't go against her. Don't, 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 uh, listen, listen to her. Don't, don't go against her. This is not, this is not for you to say, let me tell you the value of what's going on here because obviously you're only judging things by cost. 
You're only judging things by their practicality as you understand them. But let me, this, what's going on here has to do with what I'm about to do. What's going on here has to do with something you're not getting. What's going on here, what's happening with this woman, what she's doing has everything to do with what I'm about to do in about a week. And you don't get that. She's, prepared, she's using this ointment. She's, she's, anointing my, she's anointing my body. Not anointing me as king. That would come down on the head as it did in the Old Testament. All the kings were anointed with oil and it, and it ran over their heads as a, as a symbol of their, of their majesty. But anointing his body, as you would do, when you buried them. Because my kingship starts with my death. My kingship starts, my kingdom begins with my sacrifice, not with my victory. I go to defeat so that my people can go to the throne. That's how my kingdom begins. And you don't get that. She gets that. And even though she doesn't get the whole thing, even though there were, th- there were probably thousands of things Mary didn't understand in that moment, Jesus is, bringing, Jesus is bringing the value to it. Jesus is seeing it as a window for us to understand, for those in that room to understand what was going on in that moment. And she got some of it. She got Certainly she got some of it. What would, what would make her come into that room? And do cross the gender barrier, cross the barrier of of uh, of civility, of culture, culture barriers, cross cross the barrier of shame, and to let to let her hair down. What would make her let her hair down in the presence of the holiness of God? I'll tell you what it is, and I'll use an illustration that I that I have told some of you. Um, the very first girl I dated as a, as a young man wasn't Becky. I got better at it, and then she got the better part. Right? Okay. Well, the very first girl I dated, uh, when, I, when, I, when I was a teenager and started driving, we had gone out to we had gone out to an ice cream place, uh, and so we had had ice cream, and I had parked the car in the parking lot. It was a, I guess it was a Friday night. It was dark. It was winter time, oddly enough, but it was an ice cream place, and we we got ice cream, came out, walked to the, walked to the car. It was cold, so I grabbed her hand, got to the car, got in the car turned on the car, heating the car up, waiting for the car to heat up. So what you did back in the day. At least that's what my dad told me to do. Wait for the car to heat up. So we're waiting for the car to heat up, and we're sitting there. And we had, and, it was, and uh, it's not like today. Cars in the old days had bench seats, so there was no console in the center. Love bench seats. At least I did in this moment. Because she, she got in, and she sat close to me which was a good sign. And so I took the signal to, while the car's warming up, put my arm around her, help warm up her and me and the car. And, and I'm like nervous is all. 
So the car's heating up, the car's on, we're waiting in the parking lot. It's kind of dark, talking about the night. She's right there. And you know, there's that moment. If you're familiar with it, that moment when, when you gotta go or you've lost it forever. In that moment where you go and she sort of looks at you and you're looking at her and you're like, you swallow hard and your heart is pounding. And so I did. And I kissed her. First time I'd ever done that. And, and the next thing I know, all I hear is this, is somewhere in the parking lot, there's this, this car is racing its engine. And I don't know, I'm going, what? And, and all I remember is kind of in that moment, I kind of startled out of it. And, I, and we, that, it broke the kiss because this freaking car is racing its engine and has no consideration for anybody else. And I'm like, and I realized it was me <laughs> pressing the accelerator of the car while I'm <laughs> kissing her and a girl for the first time. And so the metaphor <laughs> that my engine was racing <laughs> was both metaphor and reality all at the same time. Why do I share that story? Because in the midst of my euphoria, I got lost in the love and did a dumb thing. I got lost in that, in that moment of love and it made me do something unusual that to the rest of the world would have been, to the rest of anybody else in that parking lot, some other, some other guys in the other side of the parking lot going, who's that guy racing his engine? Dude, calm down. Mary got lost in her love with Jesus and she did something odd. She wasn't thinking about, and I don't mean she, wasn't, she was thoughtless. I don't mean it was thoughtless. Being lost in devotion, being lost in captivation, being lost in love in those moments, and hopefully you've had those moments with earthly relationships, and certainly Becky and I have had those moments in our experience in the rest of our lives. The birth of children, Euphoric moments of vacation, opportunities, intimacy, all of these places where you where you where love, where you do get lost in it, and then you you, you you you're not being thoughtless. You're just being you're just lost in the emotion. You're lost in the connectivity, and you then find yourself doing odd things, giving giving yourself to that moment in a way that you cease to be consciously thoughtful, but simply driven by your captivation. What? What do we see Mary doing in this context? It's because she was lost in her devotion. She was lost in the love that she felt from a Savior. And she was lost. She had been forgiven. She had been changed. Everything about Jesus, everything about her following him had changed all, every, all of her sense of things. 
Nothing was the same. Everything was, was, was turned upside down. Now she's got this expensive perfume. She, before, she would have saved it. She would have doled it out. She would have been careful with it. She would have protected it in some fashion. And now it, it's lost all of its sense of value in that context. What I thought I wanted, what I thought I needed, what I thought I was going to bring me hope and life and, and be fragrant, I, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not meaningful to me in that capacity anymore. I don't need it in that way anymore. And I'm glad to give it away. I'm glad to break it away and surrender it and give it away to Jesus in the love that I have. What, what is valuable to me now is Him and what this means for me. I can finally let down my hair. I can finally relax in the presence of holiness. What made her relax in the presence of holiness? Jesus said, I don't look at you through a lens of evaluation. I don't look at you through the lens of what you have done to demean me or to, or to betray me. I look at you through the lens of perfection. I look at you through the lens of favor. Jesus, she understood that Jesus, by his work, had justified her, had made her right with him. And Justification means forgiveness. It means that my sins are forgiven, but it also means something radically more powerful than that. Justification means more than just simply that my record has been erased, but that my erased record has been replaced with the record of Jesus. And so now when God sees me, when God relates to me, he relates to me through that record that Jesus has provided for me and for you. So now I can relax and get lost in that relationship. I can get lost in that favor and that love. And it might, and it, it radically will change my connection with everything else I have in this world. It changes the relationship. Mary's, Mary's sense of this changed her relationship with her sister. She was able to, to, to sit at Jesus' feet rather than have to be working in the kitchen all the time. Changed her relationship with her resources and with her money. She was able to give it away in generous capacities. It changed her relationship in the context of her sense of what, what, was, uh, what was reasonable and what was, what was necessary in, the cult, in a cultural sense. She, didn't, she wasn't ashamed to be in that setting. She, she didn't live her life based on shame and fear and on what do people think of me. What are they, they going to think if I go in there and do this perfume thing and I let my hair down? That wasn't on her, la her, that wasn't on her radar at that point because she was lost in love lost in the love Jesus had for her because he says, what I think of you is more meaningful than anything else. And what, how I care for you means more than anything else. And what I've done for you means more than anything else. And when that is the central driving force of our lives through faith, it changes everything. And when it changes everything, it doesn't always make everybody happy. Because the bean counters and the fakers and the older brothers and the, and, and the people who are, who are more about outward than they are about inward, who don't really get the work of Jesus, they're not going to like that. When the younger brother came home and throws himself at the father's feet and says, I have nothing but you. I am not worthy to be called. And, and again, at the father's feet, what does the older brother go? What's going on here? Who's throwing a party? 
Why are we, why are we, why are we wasting all these resources? Oh, where'd you get that, where'd you get that bull? Where'd you get that, that, uh, that fatted calf? Where'd that come from? Well, in the, in the landscape of the economy, we know where it came from. It came out of his pocket. Because the younger brother, he, he wasted all his. He, he poured all of his out. So when they come home and there's going to be a party thrown, whose who's fatty calf is it? Because his father said he divided it up amongst his sons. So you get your, hat, your part and the older brother gets his part. Everything else that's left is his because I'm just here, you know. And, the, and so, yeah, it was his. And he's standing back going, who's throwing this party? And what's going on? And why is everybody, ha- why is everybody happy? And he comes in to rain on everybody's parade when the, when, when the love of Jesus, when the grace of when the grace of justification, when the, when the righteousness given to God's children changes how God favors his people, comes into a life, it, it, makes, it, it makes those who don't get it very uncomfortable. And they start measuring and they start organizing and they start. And when that, and see the spirit of that, before you start pointing the finger at all the butlers in the room, or in your life, who suddenly are, where'd that come from? No, uh, the spirit of that resides in each and every human heart. The spirit of Judas resides in each and every heart. But Judas didn't get it. Judas, Judas wasn't, didn't fall in love with the love of Christ. Judas didn't Judas wasn't captivated by what Jesus was trying to accomplish in him and in all those. And that, and that failure to get it ultimately led him to take his own life because he couldn't, he couldn't put together everything he knew. And that conundrum, that inability to live up to his own standards, that inability to, to measure up to the... To the to overcome the failures of his life led him to, to such utter desperation, to such utter hopelessness, to such utter sense of inability. The only option he thought was the only option he thought open to him was to just take his own life, and he did. And that mentality leads down that path. But when follow, but when getting Jesus, when when we are lost in the love that He has for us, the love that He exhibits on the cross, no greater love has any man than this. Then He lays down His life for His friends. Jesus is laying down His life for Mary, and Mary understands that Jesus is 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 surrendering Himself. He's the He's the one making the first sacrifice. She sacrifices the the perfume, costly as it is. For Jesus, but he was the one to make the first sacrifice by not breaking open the perfume, but breaking open his own heart for his people. And when that lands on you, when that becomes the central driving influence, everything else changes, and you start, and you start getting lost in that love. Odd devotion occurs. Odd generosity occurs. You start giving your money away in strange ways to the work of God. You, you, you serve in different capacities. You're not driven by fear and shame any longer because it's just you and Him. It's just the love that 
the intimacy that exists between you and him. That's what we're, and we, and we don't, and it's not perfect. It's not operating all the time. We move in and out of it. There are times where I'm, you know, where there are times where I'm intimately connected with my sense of who he is and what he's done for me, and it's overpowering me, and then the grace of it and the freedom of it lets, allows me to let my hair down in his presence. And then there are other times where I get caught up in this efficiency model with this sense of I'm not living up to the, the abilities and I'm not understanding who he is and, I'm, and I, get, I get drawn away and, and clouded and I go down dark paths. But what Mary reminds me is that the, is that the power for change resides in understanding his love for me as exhibited in the sacrifice and his willingness to take the road of death for me. That changes it all. And we know if the change is occurring by these little sparks of odd love, devotion, odd generosity. When the resurrection occurs to me, when the resurrection changes my life, when my life internally has been resurrected, it begins to change everything in, in around me. And although it's going to make a little, it's going to make people uncomfortable, and you know, because the resurrection does that. Look at the response of the Pharisees to, to, to Lazarus. Okay, they were already. We already saw John say earlier in the passage that John, uh, that Jesus, they were out to get Jesus. We're we're going to kill him because people are starting to leave leave the Pharisee religion in order to go over to Jesus. People are coming to Jesus because of him. We're going to kill him, and then, and then Jesus saves Lazarus and raises him from the dead. And now, because Jesus did something in Lazarus, they're going to kill Lazarus. What part did Lazarus have in his own resurrection? Absolutely nothing. And why do they hate him? Why are they out to kill him? Because of something he didn't do. He just got raised from the dead by Jesus. Jesus touched his life. Jesus came into his life and transformed everything about him. Brought it, brought, there was death. There was decay. And Jesus Raises him from that, gives him new life, new hope, new health, new mission, new satisfaction, new favor. And now we're going to kill you. Mary has this intimate relationship with Christ. She gets his, his life-giving power of his grace. It's transforming her heart. And she's just, she's just giving it away to him. And she's, and she's walking into places she's not supposed to walk with a bravery that where does this come from? And with a devotion that breaks cultural barriers and that seems shameful but isn't and isn't scandalous only in the fact that it's extravagant. And where does that come from? She's driven by a new force of love in her life. A new favor has captivated her heart and is driving her and changing her. That's what happens when we are affected by the cross. That's what happens when we fall in love with a Savior we never thought would love us and shouldn't love us because of our sin, but says, I do, and I will, and I'm not ever going to stop loving you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for changing us and transforming us by the power of your cross and resurrection that we can be at ease in your presence because you have taken away our sin and given us the, the, the righteousness of Jesus. 
And you've changed our relationship to every other thing in our lives now. I pray that we would get out of your way. I pray that we would be, I pray that we would be captivated by you and so lost in your love for us and our love for you as a response that it would, it, that it would lead us, that it would spontaneously, unconsciously lead us to racing our engines for you. Generosity beyond imagination. Bold, powerful love and service for your kingdom to transform a world. Do this, Father, because it, makes, it gives you pleasure. In Jesus' name we pray.